Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, excited to be back with you. We've been away <laughs> because we've been dealing with our own growing pains that we're going to get into um, here shortly. But um, excited to be able to share with you what we've learned along the way in terms of our, the hiring process, trying to get the right fit, figuring out the right things that you need to do in terms of interview questions, interview format. And I, I tell you, it's, it's, you can't cheat the process or accelerate the experience, and you don't get better until you experience um, it for yourself. And hopefully we can share some insight for you or with you so you don't make the same mistakes we did. So sit back, listen, and have fun. Are you a physical therapist who wants to pay off your student loans, gain financial independence, and have true autonomy in your work and your life? The best way to do that is to open your own practice. But how? What are the steps that practically guarantee your success? Well, that's what you're about to learn. The Performance Doc Academy podcast is your audio blueprint to opening your very own physical therapy practice. So let's go. Um, so what, what growing pains have you had that you want to talk to? Jared, what's crazy is all the gurus that talk about cash PT or just growing your business and so forth, they never mention the headache it is when you the headache that you're going to experience transitioning from doing it all on your own to hiring other people um, to do to delegate tasks in which you normally would do on your own, which you know would get done the way you want them to get done. So the challenge. So is, what's the what? Yeah, but what's the problem with delegating? I mean, isn't that better? It is when uh, it's it's not whenever they don't give you they don't do it right <laughs> or they don't do it with the amount the same amount of passion or the same amount of um, attention to detail. So that is a problem that you run into. And uh, I think the more and more that we experience this growing or hiring and adding on new therapists or whether staff members can be techs, you start to understand that it's a job to them still, right? And I had to go back and think of myself as uh, a worker. Right. And my mindset as a worker. And I think I start to relate to them in that capacity where it's like, yeah, you know, I'm clocking in at nine and five. If there's dirt on the rug, I see it. I'll step over it. But it doesn't mean I have to, you know, vacuum it or pick it up. <laughs> right. It'll get done. Somebody else will get it or so forth. Like the urgency, the attention to detail and the amount of um, accountability that comes with you as a practice owner, it's very hard to pass down to those that are on your team. And unfortunately, um, it can lead to frustration if you don't have a way of making that better or convey to them. So, but that, that would lead me to the thought of, okay, so think back to when you did work for somebody, what actually motivated you? Um, what motivated me when I worked for another facility was to go out on uh, do whatever it takes to get on <laughs> go out on my own. <laughs> so, so essentially, so was, you were you were motivated by the possibility of leaving, essentially. Right, right. So what I did was use that as a great understudy to jot down things that I like, what I didn't like, what worked, what didn't work, some of the things that they did that made them successful. And also use it as one year, because I only worked for someone for a year, used it as one year to, <laughs> as a free lab opportunity to gain patience, to gain experience, make mistakes under somebody else's watch. And that's, <laughs> that, was, that's all, that was my thought process and my mindset. It wasn't any motivation that I got from them. What about, I mean, I, I would say for me, I was always motivated by the patient. Like it sounds corny, like to say it, but it's like the thought of doing a bad job for a patient to me is like atrocious. Right. Like it's, it's their, their dedicated. Cause I mean, for me, the most valuable commodity I have, and I feel like I've always had is my time, you know, cause that's, it's the one thing you can't ever get back. Okay. And, and they're right. They're giving up their time to spend with me. I always felt like I needed to make it, worthwhile for them. They, they gave up that hour to be with me, but that only, I feel like that motivation only extended as far as, uh, patient care. Like 
if there was like vomit on the floor. I don't think I'd be the first one to go run to clean it up, you know, because that I don't think the, the, the desire to do good for patients extends to the other aspects of business necessarily and all those other little things that you want an employee to necessarily be good at. You know, I think for I think the the only thing that motivated me beyond, you know, wanting to do good for the patient outside of patient care, I think was the was the well, in my case, lack thereof respect for me as an employee. This notion that I was somehow valued. Um, I was a valued member of the team. My time was valued uh, both monetarily, you know, getting paid what I'm worth in my time and also that like my ideas mattered. I think that, I think that when I felt like my, my ideas mattered, um, that, that meant a lot to me. And I don't know that this is something I reflected on enough as a business owner and enacted in my own business with my own team. Right. But I, if I'm now that we're talking about it, I'm thinking back and I'm thinking that those are the things that actually pushed me to want to do well, because I, I, that would make me feel like, okay, if my thoughts and my my feelings are are um, important to the company, I I this is now a home for me. I want the company to succeed because then I get to share more of my thoughts and feelings. I feel like that if I had done a better job with my team in that, I mean we 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 did the best we could, but it's it's the the buy-in part is just is is so hard mm-hmm. right? to get an employee to want to do the things that you want them to do that are, that go beyond the patient care. Cause that, it seems to be that, that in most physical therapy, uh, the, the mindset of most physical therapists, the dedication to and, and commitment to excellence ends there. Yeah, no, I agree. Cause one of our um, mentors had told us like, always try to fit the employee's dream, like into the company dream. Right. And if you do that, then they'll be there forever. Like if their dreams fit inside of your dream, then they're not going anywhere. Right. But the hard part, that we've come across is that a lot of these therapists don't like have a bigger dream. Like it's just almost like this work-life balance and the, you know, like that's their bigger dream. Not like, Oh, I want to, I don't know what we've struggled with, with hiring has been a little bit of that. So, okay. So what do you, what, what is your personal opinion on a work-life balance? Jared, Jared, I'm from I'm from the era where like your work life balance is when you've put in the the um the front end work. So therefore towards the end you have you can oh, enjoy oh, so the it's fruits not, it's not work life Yeah, but then it's not work life balance, it's work, work and, then, and then life. Yeah. Right, like, right. You gotta right. do all the workforce. Well, well, it's almost like you have to you know, you're you're buying life with work in a sense. Well but it's interesting, right? Um I always and I can be wrong, but Early on in your career, you have the time and the energy to work harder to accomplish more things early on, right? Like there's you, you less, you have less of a family. Uh, you don't really have much of a family that depends on you. You're you're goal oriented. You're career seeking. You want to advance. You want to be. You you want to accelerate the learning curve by continuing education, whatever the case may be, right? You, your interest, your passion, you have a, that fire that's burning. And so the idea of like, I want to make sure that I cut that off at 38.5 hours a week. I've never thought about that. Like I never thought, considered that. It was more or less like, you know, I want to be fulfilled by advancing in my career that I'm passionate about. So this idea of work-life balance, I don't even think I really understand it per se. Does it mean... After 40 hours, I don't have any work to do after I leave, like 38.5. Like, what? what is that? Can you define it for me? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I, I can't define it for you, I don't think. But <laughs> I used to, when I used to, when I used to teach, uh, do a lot more coaching and consulting for, for small businesses, I drew, a, I used to draw this picture and it, it was this timeline and it was about um, essentially, I forgot what I called them. Then maybe they were assets. I don't, I don't remember the term. But when you're basically the idea is that when you're young, you have two things, right? You have time and energy. These are the, like a, a young human being. That's what they have. And as you get older, you trade that time and the energy for two other commodities: money and information, right? So you go to school, 
that's time and energy. You study, that's time and energy. You work, that's time and energy. And what you gain from time and energy is you gain money, right? You get paid for that, right? You get, you get a job and information, you get smarter, right? And then uh, you get to a certain point in your life, maybe around that midlife crisis point, where now you have a lot of money and a lot of information. And the thing that you want to get back is your time and your energy, mm-hmm. right? Mm. And then what you do is you then start trading your money and your energy and your, uh, and your knowledge to, to buy back time and energy. Right. And so that's sort of where I'm at in my career is I have money. I have a lot of knowledge, but I don't want to spend any more of my time and my energy. Instead, I want to build systems that essentially buy back time. So I'm not trading time for, for money that buy back time and that buy back energy, give me more energy. So I think that it's, it's helpful to think about work-life balance, not in a moment by moment thing. It's like, okay, this week, do I, do I have enough free time? I think it's more like work-life balance is a function of looking at the timeline of your life and asking the question, are you setting yourself up in order to be able to buy back your time and your energy when you're older? And when you build a business that's successful, and then you can sell that business or step away from it and let other people run it, both of which have benefits. You're setting yourself up to buy back your time and your energy through the um, trade-in of the money and the information that you essentially have acquired through the investment that you made. So I think the, the mis- I don't know if it's a mistake, but maybe the misperception that a lot of young individuals have, both in you know the physical therapy world and elsewhere, is that they think that the key to work-life balance is they want time, energy, money, and information all at the same time, right? <laughs> and you, 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 you see that when you have applicants come into your office And they say things like this. I only want to work 30 hours a week time. I'm only willing to put in so much of my effort for what I'm being paid. That's energy. I want you to pay me $85,000 a year. That's money. And I want you to mentor me information. (laughs) So they, they ask for all four of those things at exactly the same time. And for some reason, they think that they deserve it. And I think that the older school thought is an understanding, if you will, of a willingness to, to see the timeline as a sacrifice that you have to sacrifice time and energy to get the money and information that you can then trade back for time and energy. And I think a lot of the individuals coming out of school now don't appreciate the fact that that's a process. And for whatever reason, they want it all right now. And that puts um, employers like us in a really tough situation because it's not possible to give them everything right now. And if you gave them everything right now, they would certainly be unhappy because what do they get next? There's nowhere to go. And I think that that ultimately makes it very, very difficult, I think, to keep people happy. And it's, it's such a blessing when you get somebody in your office that says, no, I'm, I'm not that interested in, in, you know, time and I'm not that interested in energy. I'm willing to put that in and in, in exchange for all the time and the energy that I put in, I'm asking for money and information, mentoring and a good paycheck. That's really what you want as an employee employee. You want the person that comes in who's willing to put the time in. The hard part is hiring people now, especially post COVID who are willing to put the time and the work in for whatever reason is, is really tough. And I think, you know, being, being that this episode is about growing pains. Um, I think what you mentioned before, one of the growing pains that a lot of business owners now face is the hiring problem. And how do you find somebody who's willing to make that sacrifice? And how do you post your ad to attract the right person? How do you run your interviews to make sure that you don't get somebody that wants everything right now and is willing to, to play the game? So, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I think it's always been tough and now it's just tougher. I agree. And I think what the way you broke it down makes so much sense. And I, and I think um, certain I still think the older generation or at least I, I feel like now I call myself the older generation, but 
And are is we are we part well, of the older generation? I feel generation? like I'm, I the have the off? same mindset, but I'm, I don't think I'm the older generation, guys. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, maybe you're married to the older yeah, generation. That's, that's your... Uh, <laughs> but well, I, I, I don't know. I feel like I took those values from my parents and mm. like it just got passed down to our, my generation from them. Yeah. But I don't know who these new kids are. Who are their parents? <laughs> what are they teaching them? I don't even know what, what the generate rate it's, it's obviously, you know, you could include the millennials and I don't know who's after the millennials. Gen, Gen Z. I, they call it Z Gen Z mm-hmm. Z. They're the problem. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see it in the schools. I mean, I, I don't know if you've had a student lately, but it it's, it's sort of evident in the educational system. I, I don't know. I can't talk about this too much, but I, I was doing mentoring at one of the universities here in, uh, in North Carolina. And frankly, I was extremely disappointed by the level at which the students expected things Mm. just to kind of come to them that, I mean, physical therapy, when you, when you get good at it, you realize it's not that hard, but when you, when you're just starting out, it's, it's really hard. It's, it's really hard. There's so much to learn and there's so much to know. And for whatever reason, there seems to be this expectation like, well, they can read a couple of articles, you know, take a couple of classes and all of a sudden they're an expert. But I think that's endemic to the whole, the whole social media thing. I mean, people, everyone thinks they're an expert these days at at whatever. I mean, it's not just physio. I mean, I think that's true across the board. Everybody can be an expert or at least no, that's wrong. Everybody can position themselves as an expert by simply claiming that they are, Mm -hmm. there is no, There is no need to prove yourself anymore because you can simply claim anything you want. And by doing so, you can almost convince yourself that the work doesn't need to be done and that, you know, well, I can just look it up if I need to know something. You know, there's no need for me to put in the hard work and struggle and make mistakes and fail and fail and fail and fail. Yeah. Until you learn how to succeed. I guess it is partially, like you're saying, just that access to information that might be part of the problem. And really only going to get worse with all this AI stuff. (laughs) Can you imagine it's just, we're just going to ask AI how to fix patients. It's like, got a 46 year old female with a (laughs) HNPL four five. You know, what do I do? AI is going to tell you exactly how many reps of extension. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank God that's not going to come anytime soon. (laughs) All right. So what other, what other, so uh, hiring folks, hiring folks is, is, is problematic. And uh, it's not just the hiring. You mentioned something else as well. I don't know if I mentioned that. But you said some, you said something else before that you were like, also, how do you, as an owner, how do you get to the point where you're willing to give up control yeah. mm-hmm. and you're willing to not have everything done exactly the way that you want it to be done? Because I know my, my brother is a good example of this. My brother uh, runs a metal, a metal shop in, uh, in uh, Brooklyn, in uh, Bed-Stuy. And he's just a brilliant, brittle, brilliant metal worker. He can make anything. He can build anything. And he's hired and fired a gazillion people. At this point <laughs> in time. And, the, and the answer is kind of always, you know, if I, if I talk to him about it, it's something along the lines of oh, that person's an idiot, you know, they just can't, which but by, by my, you know, my brothers are Brooklynites. So what he means is they just can't do what I do. Mm-hmm. Right. And at what point in time are you willing to be like, okay, listen, I am willing to give up a certain level of quality or a certain, I'm willing to lower my expectation. And is that the right thing to do? Should we be lowering our expectations of the outcomes that we desire in order to run more fluent businesses or do we have to keep the standard really, really high and just be willing to have a smaller team and, and go through a lot of staff. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a balance and yeah. a challenge to figure out, you know, which one you kind of want more, right? Do you want to like scale and grow and lose quality or do you want to just take time and find the right people and just keep your team small? You know what I found difficult is um, because I'm so attached to the brand that we have built, and it's a direct reflection of I think myself, 
you know, in terms of the quality I put out, whether social media, the um, service that I provide, whether it's, you know, per patient that I currently see. So when the, the attachment is so strong that thus far, I have not been willing to lower the expectation or standard uh, that I have set for myself. And what I've learned over the, over the last um, year and a half or so is that a standard in which I hold myself to is actually significantly higher than those that uh, higher is higher standards than what others hold themselves to. It may not be in all facets of life, but for physical therapy, right? And for, for as a physical therapist, um, and and I think it go and it, and it really holds true to what you said, which is you'll have to you'll go through more employees that way. And so um, after going after having three employees that did not work all for I would say two one one for just it didn't work um, was not going to work. Um, she was combative. She didn't want to be part of a brand. She, uh, and we'll get into it a little bit if we, um, when we, a little bit later, but, uh, talking about hiring someone that is out, have been treating as long as you, they may not be as good as you, but they treat it as long as you, we're, we're in the same class. So, you know, like the class of 20, whatever, like we're, we're, we're the same, we're equals. Um, and then, you know, the second one was, uh, was okay path at least resistance but that demeanor and that contentment led to let that demeanor of like okay you know I, I'm laid back chill end up being a detriment to the urgency and the commitment to getting better and excellence so I was like ah this is not working either and lastly I made the mistake and hired uh, um, a young just got out of school that even in the interview, I was like, eh, but we were trying to fill the need for another therapist due to the demand. So I was like, well, maybe I can train them and maybe they they are hungry when they say they're hungry, but my hunger and someone else's hunger is different. So if there's a, a difference in <laughs> hunger, it looks like you're not working hard enough. You know what I mean? So. Again, this idea of not living up to this, my standard is really all of them, right? And uh, I've, and unfortunately, for that very reason, I think they didn't work out. But I do believe, Jared, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'll be honest with Carrie, it it's still going to work out for the best because I had to really reflect and do a lot of self-improvement in the sense where, like, you know how we invest in our business, reinvest in our business? One gem that I want to leave those that are listening, business owners or future business owners, you have to reinvest in yourself in areas that are beyond just physical therapy. Whenever you own a practice, you're trying to manage people like that means self-improvement books, seminars, learning how to manage leadership. Those books, I never forget my mentor, other mentor said, you need to make sure you're doing that. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote down the books, but I never read any of them. Right. But the moment I started losing people and realized my management style could be different, my leadership style can improve, after deep reflection, uh, when I read these books, it made more sense. And you know, all the examples they say of like, you know how in the books they say I got boss A and boss B and B is the always the terrible boss example. I was like, I was, was always, always B. B. I was like, oh, mm, you're right, <laughs> I did that. Sounds B. familiar. Right, I did way. that wrong, right? <laughs> And uh, so it, it was good to have that time, that span of three months to read and kind of reflect with Carrie and some of the other team members to learn, okay, what did they see? How did I come off and so forth? And it was really good. I think um, to say, I say that to say, it, it, I don't think it would have made a difference in the people that I hired per se, because I don't think they were the right fit. I still believe that. But they would have lasted longer, and I still would have got more out of them during the time that they were here, right? Uh, and it could things could have went differently, but they didn't. It happened for a reason. I did self improvement for that very reason, and now I'm much better suited to um, lead and manage um, the next therapist that we just hired. I look forward to that. 
And um, based on what I learned from those other hires, I learned what to look for in the new hire through interviews. And I think I've made a better selection, Carrie and I did, and looking forward to it. But uh, it, it really is crazy to think that this all comes down to the fact that my standards are too high. And so uh, <laughs> I have to find a way to just... Did we talk about it, Jared? Or, Jared initially introduced it, and then someone else reinforced it. Jared was the one that said, you know, you just have to come to the realization that uh, you have to decide, is it good enough the patients are happy? Right? You know, for right. the most part... That's the question of what's your, right. what's your metric? Like, right. what? how are you measuring success? You know, right. is success they're doing it like me or is success the patient is happy getting better? I mean, because ultimately that's who it's all about. It's always about the patient. I mean, I, I again, that sounds so cliche, yeah. but it really couldn't be more true is that every 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 decision that you make as a physical therapy business owner must have the backdrop of what is best for the patient. Is yeah. it best for the patient for me to hire this person? Is it best for the patient for me to buy this piece of equipment? Is it best for the patient for me to invest in a new paint job? Like if the patient doesn't care, if none of the patients care what color your wall is, then you're really painting the wall for yourself. I mean, it's just that simple. It's there needs to be some reflection against what, what the patient wants. But I'm curious to know, you said, um, that this hire was a better hire and there were a couple of things that you were looking out for and there's a couple of indicators. So what, what is right about this new person that you brought on and what specifically were you, uh, turned on by, um, in the, in this new hire? And, yeah. And first, and why do you, why do you think this is going to work out? Well, all right. Well, first and foremost, uh, this sounds like it's not egotistical, but like, I do think there's a certain awareness that needs to come from, um, a future clinician about our practice, our brand, who I am, they seeing me. And so I always go back to all the uh, uh, students that came in and did the clinical rotation. They all seek me out, right? Based on like some principles that they shared or some things that they saw that they wanted to learn. And it was a certain amount of uh, eagerness to learn, right? From someone that they respected. So they, it was certain, it was already some form of respect and in regards to what has, what I've accomplished. And then also, you know what, I'm interested in treating or I'm interested in the principles that you do. So that's the first thing. Okay. But that's good for you because you have an online presence and people can get to know you. Mm -hmm. But if I'm a, if I'm a small business owner and I'm going, my, I'm, I'm making a hire and I don't have an, a, a big online presence, for example, I can't necessarily use that as a, uh, a, a litmus test to see if the person I'm hiring. So, so what other, what other, um, indicators did you see that this was the right person hmm. for you? They had a specific passion, right? So he played baseball okay. in college and he wanted to treat and eventually be the baseball guru, a specialist, right? And so for throwers and so forth. And to me, when someone says that, they know they they know what it takes to be a specialist, right? They, they they know the journey, they know the work, the commitment, and if you say you want to do that, then you're holding yourself accountable to take those steps to do so. So there's less of me trying to push them into the direction that you know of like, okay, have you taken a continuing education course? Have right. you thought these things? So out? let me ask you a question: When you did the interview with this person, right? Did they volunteer the information about their passion for baseball? early in the conversation. Yes. I think that's a, that I think that's an important indicator, right? It's not like we'd have to pull it's it a he or she, it's right. a he, he. Yeah, it's a he or she. Okay. So, it's not like he talked to you first about what kind of benefits do you offer. Right. 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 Or what what kind of salary am I going to get or how many hours am I going to work or how many patients per hour am I going to treat, right? That wasn't where he went with the conversation. I mean, I don't even know. I'm asking, mm -hmm. but I'm guessing that that's not what he focused on first. Right. He focused on, let me share my passion with you about this particular thing. And it became evident that he was not putting on a passion so that you got excited about him, but rather he was passionate and he was so passionate. He had to talk to you about that first before he asked the question, what do I get? Right. Right. Uh, and then, yeah. and I think that's a good indicator. And the other thing I was going to say, like back to the eagerness to learn thing, 
Um, someone else that we interviewed with, he said all the right things, right? He said he was very eager to learn. He said he was about two years out, about the same amount of time as the guy that we ended up hiring. And, but he had all these excuses over the last two years, why he didn't get to do these, you know, like why he didn't get to, uh, take these courses and do these things. And because he was getting married and, you know, just excuse after excuse, Sure. which may be valid. I don't know. Right. But like the other guy, you know, did a residency, he's signed up for dry needle. Like he already, those steps are already being taken. Right. Um, which means we won't have to force those steps to be taken. Yeah. So, so, so let's put, let's put some takeaways in place here. So takeaway number one, when you're, when you're hiring to grow your team is you mentioned if, if you have an online presence, it's helpful to have somebody that knows who you are and knows what you stand for and wants to work for you because of what you stand for and your passion. Right. right. You're not sense. convincing them of your values and your principles. Like you don't have right. to like, right. right. Okay. If, if you don't have an online presence and or people don't know you, obviously you can't, you can't use that. The second thing that maybe the second takeaway might be something along the lines of where does the person you're interviewing take the conversation first? And I think that that's gets to interviewing skills as a business owner that much like when you do a patient interview, you don't want to drive them into a tunnel too quickly. And you, you need to let the patient take the interview where they need to take the interview unless they don't know where to take the interview. And then you start asking more specific questions. But I mean, my first question with a patient is always the same, which is just how can I help you? Right. Cause they might say, Oh, well, I'd like to learn some exercises to fix my ankle. Okay, great. That tells me that they're here to learn exercises that better teach them exercises and not just throw them on the damn table and do some ankle moves. Right. Uh, if somebody says, I, well, I, I, I really want you to fix my ankle, but the bigger problem is my balance. Well, I just learned that they're not actually here for their ankle. Right. So by asking a nice open-ended question and as an interviewing skill, I think it's important to begin your interviews with really broad stroke questions to your interviewee, because then you learn what's important to them by where they take the conversation. If you start the conversation with an interviewee by saying, uh, well, okay, it's nice to meet you. Um, tell me what you're looking for in this position. Or you say something like, uh, it's nice to meet you. Can you tell me about the last couple of jobs that you had? That's such a specific question that you're not really going to learn what's important to the, to the person you're interviewing. But if you start the interview by saying, um, tell me a little bit about yourself or, 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 uh, well, you know, welcome. Uh, why don't, why don't you go first? Let me, let me know what you're thinking. And just as broad as you can possibly make it. If that person starts to move their answer, their response, their communication, and starts talking about things that align with your vision and starts talking about a passion, that's a really good sign that you've got somebody that's got some, 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 a good, a good groundwork, if you will, underneath them. So I think that's, that's a nice takeaway number two. And there was one more thing in there that I'm blanking on, but let's, so let's get, let's get back to it. Maybe, maybe I'll remember it. So this person that, that you're bringing on now communicated a passion for baseball. Oh, that was the other thing. Uh, the actions speak louder than words. So this is something that you just mentioned, Carrie, right? So takeaway number three might be, it's, it's not enough that you said that this is important to you right? What's important to you? Oh, mentorship's important to you. Okay. Tell me about your past mentorships. Well, I haven't had any. Okay. Well, if it's, <laughs> if it's important to you, then why haven't you had any? What's important to you? Education's important to me. Okay, great. How many con ed courses have you taken since you graduated? Uh, one. Okay. So is, is really focusing not on what the person is saying, but on what the person has done. And it's very, very easy. I mean, everybody can be a good liar if they want to. It's really, really easy for people to fool you. I, I've been fooled. I've had people come in and tell me all sorts of things and believe them and then found out for them to be not true. And it's not that people are lying. It's just that people have deluded themselves into thinking that something is important to them when it's really not. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think self-delusion is really the problem. Education is important to me, but not as important to these 10 other things that I did. <laughs> well, then how important is it? Maybe you're using the word important incorrectly. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, so looking at actions, what has the person done rather than what is the person saying is important to them or is a priority to them, I think is really, really a good third takeaway as, as, as an, as an interviewee when you're growing your team. I think those are really good. Okay. Can we keep going? So, so what, what other, what other things did, did this individual present to you or signs, if you will, 
that that they were a good hire or will be a good hire. Yeah. Something else he mentioned, like in regards to the passion and the baseball thing, was um, wanting to start that where he was at, but feeling like he didn't have the support of you know the um, team that he was working with or the the higher ups that he was working with, and he also wasn't exactly sure how to go about it, and he feels like he could really use mentorship in that area, like to get out in the community and you know work with these people. Um, which is something we definitely wanted in our next hire, someone who wants to get out in the community. When you say get out in the community, do you mean like on, uh, on the marketing front or do you mean working, going out and talking to teams? Like what, Yeah. what did he mean by get out in the community? He meant mainly, I think, um, and I could be wrong, but getting in front of baseball coaches, baseball teams, he wanted to talk about injury prevention or injury reduction for these athletes where he feel is lacking based on his experience coming up playing baseball. And he feels that certain injuries could have been avoided or at least um, decreased in his career. So those are the things that he was thinking about. Oh, that's interesting. So he had a, if you will, a, a personal bone to pick with the way that strength coaches were working with athletes because those mistakes that those strength coaches and, uh, and team coaches were making had a detrimental effect on his own career uh, or his own time as a, as a baseball player. And he, he had a personal vendetta, if you will, to go and rectify those issues and to try to, if, if you, if you will make the world a better place um, by doing that. So I think that speaks to his, to his passion. Is, is he uh, interested in opening his own practice? I, I didn't, I didn't get that um, impression, but that's not to say he Never would be, but Never he didn't would mention be. it. Yeah, he, he, uh, how about this? He consistently reiterated that he wants to hone his skills so he can be the guy. It reminds me a little bit of, um, but I did them simultaneously, where I wanted to be the guy, but I didn't want to work for another guy. So I did them both at the same time. I jumped out on my own and decided to go to a ton of continu- continued education courses and work w- with mentors to help accelerate the process but he only is looking based on what he described to us to continue to hone his skills in order to be um, the guy in terms of baseball throwers and so forth in the area and he was going to do that by continuing education and then also make sure he get his name out so what's important to him getting back to this concept of it's all about the patient really is about how can I grow and develop so that I can do better right. for the people that, that I work for, really, which are the patients. So let's see how we translate this. So let's say this individual uh, comes in and there's vomit on the floor, right? So it's that, it's that dirty carpet scenario that you gave earlier. Right. How can one, as a business owner, convince someone like this, uh, convince maybe is the wrong word, impart... <laughs> uh, <laughs> The, 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 the importance of doing the dirty work that it takes, billing correctly, you know, trying to get an extra unit in if you have the time, uh, spending the time to write proper soap notes, God forbid you get sued, um, you know, uh, making sure that the front of the clinic is swept when some idiot left their garbage out in front when you're coming in. Like all those little things that you really want a good employee to do is there a way for us to connect these tasks with what's important to the employee, to the, to the team member in a way, phrase it in a way that helps them to understand that it's not disconnected from patient care. Like the, the patient care experience begins before they walk in the door. And as they're walking in the door, if they have to step over, you know, somebody else's, you know, thrown away McDonald's or they have a smelly carpet or there's no toilet paper in the bathroom. These are all things that actually affect the patient experience. And it isn't just the patient's clinical experience, but rather it's the patient's experience in the clinic and that this is all one and the same. So how do we get someone like this who does understand the importance of the clinical expertise and the clinical passion to understand that there are more than clinical aspects to a good patient experience? 
Well, I think um, the challenge is, and that's, if I had the answer, I, I wouldn't have had, um, I would have still had the therapist that I had previously. Um, <laughs> okay, I was going to say, if you have the answer, go ahead and share it now, Jared. I will say is that... I, I'm not coaching you right now, but it is a good question. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think ultimately what you have to understand, I think they what people don't understand um, is that from a business owner perspective, it's not a transaction, right? A, a transactional experience is, hey, you came for physical therapy. That's what I'm going to provide as a clinician. And I'm going to do my best at it. And you're going to walk out and we're all good. It doesn't matter. As long as the table that you're on is clean and I have the access to the equipment that I need when you're here, I don't, I'm not interested in anything else in terms of the trash, in terms of the toilet paper in terms of the food out in front of the um in the parking lot like that has nothing to do with these gains or progress that i'm gonna get you and um so that's a transaction you came for physical therapy the best physical therapy i'm gonna provide it at you i just happen to be at the performance doc but that's independent of mm. you know the, the the experience outside of which you may get from me so it's this idea of um it reminds me of, think of it this way, too. I, want, I would love for the clinicians to think of it this way, where we get so upset, but they, it's the same thing from an um, entrepreneur or business or practice owner's perspective. When a surgeon has, when a surgeon does, um, let's say, for instance, fix, right? They repair, I should say, the rotator cuff muscle of a, you know, of a patient that has a tear. And they completely wash their hands of everything else, the experience of recovery, right? They say, you know what? I did my part. So let's say, for instance, they have complications. <laughs> they have still you know, swelling. They're not coming along. Their range of motion. They may need a, a, a manipulation or another cortisol shot. They're just having tr trouble. And you convey that message to the surgeon. They are like, you know what? I, I did my part. I, I did a great surgery. Mm -hmm. I cleaned everything up. It's all good. That's on you, right? It's the same idea, like as a clinician, like right. you know, look, you 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 pay me to treat these patients. I treated them. It's on you that there's trash outside. The toilet paper is is hard, or or, or too thin. Is is the someone threw up in the uh, no not the road, but there's there's trash on the floor. I'll step over that because I'm getting to the next patient that you paid me for to bring back to the table and get more results. Right? It's this idea of a separation from the brand and the experience because you provided service, a transaction. And that's the challenge that people um, that I'm having trouble conveying to a lot of the clinicians that I've had thus far. It's not just you. I mean in, in several of the businesses that I've consulted, one of the biggest challenges is getting therapists to do things other than be a PT mm -hmm. when they don't have a patient. Oh, right. So if they got an eight o'clock, a nine o'clock, and then they got a two hour break, all the therapists want to do is do their notes. Or get on the phone. At, at, or get on the phone, right? It's, there's, there's, there's not this whole thing about, hey, can you do inventory? And go see if we need more dry needle, you know, more needles or more, you know, uh, if we have enough massage lotion or whatever it is. They, they, or can you call some doctors? Or <laughs> Don't ask to do that. Get or, <laughs> right? I mean, there's this very, very big reluctance. I think it dates back to the time in school. Because in school, we're not taught anything about physical therapy as a business. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, I think, and I don't know this for sure. You know, maybe if there's uh, chiropractors out there that are listening to this, they, they can weigh in in the comments. But um, I think chiropractors at least get a little bit more education about the business side of chiropractics. I mean, hell, I'm teaching in a massage program right now, and even they're getting a business course on running your own massage practice. And because physical therapists, graduate from school with very little understanding about what it actually takes to run a business. There's, it's almost like a blind spot where they don't see that there is no disconnect between serving the patient and serving the business. 
in a sense. If, 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 if the toilet paper is hard, if the marketing's not done, if the doctors are not called, if all of these things don't happen, there are no patients. Mm -hmm. Like there's nobody to treat because the business doesn't work. And so they don't see any of these other activities as being inside of their job description. And because they don't see it as inside of their job description, it is therefore not their responsibility. And because it is not their responsibility, they feel entitled's the wrong word, but it's pretty close. Entitled enough to deny the request to do it mm-hmm. or do it extremely reluctantly. Yes. And I have seen many a therapist refuse to make marketing calls. Just simply say, no, I'm not doing that. That's not part of my job. And you know, what the hell is the business owner going to do? Fire them over that. They're good clinicians. Patients are happy with them. It's not worth trying to hire somebody else we'll just keep this person on because they're good with the patients, but I just can't get them to do anything else. And if you have a whole team of people like that, it becomes incredibly difficult to run the business. And then as the business owner, you start thinking to yourself, damn, do I need to hire an office manager? Maybe I need another front desk person or another aide to go and do all of these other things that the therapists refuse to do in their downtime. And, how do you solve that? That's a really hard thing to solve. And I think you touched on it. I don't know that we have the full solution, but it has something to do with enrolling them in the belief system that the patient experience has more to do than just what happens on the table. And that the business is an entity that must in and of itself have a life and it needs to be supported and nurture and it needs to be it needs to be taken care of. Otherwise, there are no patients to help because nobody's no business. I mean, it, it needs it needs to be the kind of thing where it needs its own sustenance, if you will. And imparting that understanding to somebody that never heard this before, was never exposed to the concept and feels as though the job description was defined by their school, not by the employee that's hiring them which is ironically what I think that most of them think. It's like, oh, I'm a physical therapist. Well, I know what my job is. They taught me in school what my job is. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, your job is what me as the business owner tells you your job is. And Mm -hmm. part of that is to be a physical therapist, but there's other things. That's very, very difficult for a physical therapist to hear. All they want to do is treat patients all day. And rightfully so, I completely understand, but that's not the reality of how a business needs to run. Especially in a small private practice, right? I think... Right, and right, the, right. When they when they are trying to, and, and that's the ideal setting for most of these outpatient um, clinicians, right? They, they, they. Right, the good ones don't want to work in a mill right. where they've got people doing all these things that's right, right. for the, for the business. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's funny because those are actually the ones that need to work in a mill. A staff physical therapist, <laughs> <laughs> like those that want to just be a staff therapist, they need to work in a mill, right? Where they yeah. don't have to worry about marketing referrals how to get more patients and stuff like because they're going to be filled with the their schedules going to be filled whether they do anything or not so that's one less thing they have to worry about and then so uh but now now you run into so i think they are the ones i'm trying not to hire i want the person the last there was a couple there was a couple um candidates that we spoke to and they both of them were uh the one we hired and the, the one previously was talking, they mentioned how they didn't see it as a chore to do outside work. Like they enjoyed, like, you know, one was a rock climber and like she wanted to do rock climbing seminars. It was very interesting and it was good. And it was, ple- it was, um, it was really cool to hear. Leon almost different... hired someone over the phone just because they said that, even though they weren't the right fit. <laughs> Well, Jerry, hear me out. Did, now, did they did they work in a mill before they? No, came? it was coming, no. coming out of school, like coming yeah. out of school again. Oh, she wasn't, yeah, okay. not the yeah. right fit, but um, for right. just right. that sound in Leon's ear, he was like, "Oh man, it's like yeah. refreshing to have someone say that." <laughs> never heard, never heard that from anybody else. You can, I think, um, in which I've interviewed and uh, and, I, and just a shout out, just not shout out, but just like a, a direct word to all the clinic clinicians who are interested in owning their own practice or currently own their own practice and haven't hired anyone like this is a tr- very real conversation and it's something to consider um, when it comes to 
looking to grow your practice, your brand, and um, you're going to fight with it. You're going to wrestle with the idea of like handing over some of the responsibility as well as the services that you provide to other clinicians who may not value or uphold your reputation and the amount of um, hard work that you put into it. That's very hard. Like, And, and it's going to cause conflict, rightfully so. How you manage it is very important. But at the same time, don't lose who you are. Don't lose, don't, don't lose yourself trying to please everybody else, right? You have to eventually say, this is what I, you draw a line, and this is what I'm willing to accept, and this is what, what I'm not willing to accept. And once you do that, I think it's easier for you to say, okay, this person's the right fit. Oh, this one won't work. And then, you know, you can, you can pick and choose a little bit more wisely. I think we, Carrie and I both, when we reached the, the threshold, the number in which it was time to hire someone, we were more excited about being able to service the increase in patient caseload as opposed to really being as thorough as possible to hire in the next therapist. And so um, th- that's a lot of uh, the, the growth slash learning that I think we have done and um, look forward to continue to do going forward. I want to mention one more thing, which is you also can't just throw money at the problem. You you can't just pay people more, unfortunately, to do, to do more work. It doesn't work like that. You'd think that it would, but, but it doesn't. And I don't know why it doesn't work like that, but if a therapist comes in and, and you're thinking about hiring them and they want a lot of money and you think that because they want a lot of money means that they're going to do more. It's not necessarily true mm-hmm. because the money motivation is a, is a, is an ever dissatisfying driver for action because there never seems to be a high enough salary for people who, who prioritize their salary over, let's say mentorship or, or personal growth or a, a, a nice place to work with supportive people in an environment where they can treat in a way that is right for the patient. It, it never seems to be enough. And they'll keep coming back asking for more and more money, pointing out many, many reasons. Oh, so-and-so makes this, and now I'm doing this. And it, 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 it's a never-ending well of requests for raises. And so the moment you catch on to this being the so-called motivator for moving forward, for me, that's a red flag. Yeah. And I think we dodged one. Um, <laughs> I have to say it. I think we dodged one. And we brought... We brought uh, the proposal to you, Jared. You gave us a lot of good feedback, and I think uh, you're right. Like the more and more I look back at one of the candidates um, that we just eventually decided that it wasn't going to work was um, he, he he was seeking validation um, through his salary, right? Like he had he had built uh, he's he has worked for over ten years, I believe now, and. And he's currently in a role with a bigger, you know, bigger facility that uh, has the means to pay more money and has the means to provide these salaries that he wants. But he's now at a level one or level two uh, therapist. And what that means is you're close to maxing out there. So his whole motive and agenda was like, okay, what's next? Right. Meaning what what's the next uh, challenge? That comes with more money. That's truly what he didn't. Right. He didn't. Pre- okay, so he didn't preface it that we, way. We're obviously not going to. We're not going to call this individual out by name, obviously. But um, would you mind sharing what they were making at their previous job and what they asked for, so yeah. so our listeners have some idea about what an unreasonable ask is. Oh, so what they were making? I think it was like one hundred five plus. What. With everything, like, and bonuses included that they could potentially make in a year, I think it was, like, 120? 120. Okay, so 120, right? 120. 115, something like that. Jared, 120, 115, 120 is still not enough, right? And so um, what we what we counted was, okay, we'll, we're willing to pay, what was it, one? I think we said... One Not, of, I think it was, I think if I remember correctly, it was like 90 it was something 90 plus bonuses. 90 bonuses. plus bonuses where you can make up to one, Another like, one, yeah, like 110. 110. And 
And you know people are listening to this right now yeah, going, oh, cool. this fucking guy was making $120,000. Right. Yeah. And, and, he, and his goal was to make more? Like, that doesn't even make any sense considering the fact that the average salary is somewhere between, you know, I don't know, 75, 80. And then if you're out for 10 years, you'll probably push up to 85, right. 90, 95. Mm-hmm. And as a clinic director, you're probably going to make 100 and 110. This guy's making 120. And his conversation with you was centered around money. Right, Jared. Can I break? It didn't, it didn't make a difference. Yeah, how much how much experience he had at that point in time. Right. Can I break this down? What what it actually looked like. So, um, that's so he wanted one. He wanted one hundred five base. Well, right? he was, essentially wanted what he was making, with the potential to make more and the guarantee that he would continue to make more. But what he wanted, <laughs> what he wanted was the one hundred five base. He wanted the ability. He wanted us. A stipend or no, an allowance to use of our money for <laughs> for marketing, so so he could take doctors out on golfing and and, and luncheons, right? Uh, he also wanted the best insurance plan that he can get because he currently has a good insurance plan, so he wanted that. That's not included in the the, the base salary. This is all in addition. Mm. He wanted the the continued ed that we give two thousand dollars. And then on top of that, he wanted in writing that he, he would have the possibility, the opportunity to, <laughs> to open up a, one of our uh, satellite offices and be a part owner, right? And so he wanted in legal writing, legal. And I, I was like, Jerry, I said, shit, I don't even know you. Like, I don't even know about. Uh, right, like, uh, right. I don't even know we're gonna get this done. Like, what are you talking about? And so right. our conversation was something like, "You don't know this guy from Adam." Right. Mm-hmm. And Jared, and you're gonna. You want? He's ask. He's asking basically. Listen, let's 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 get in bed together and get married. <laughs> and and I want a prenup. Prenup. <laughs> there's no been. You haven't even gone on a date yet, Jared. You know? Also, you know, it was crazy. Carrie and I thought about. It. He said he wants. And so I said, "Why the hell he just opened his own practice? Because he wants to. He wants the max earning potential, right?" And we look without the risk, without the risk. Right. He still wanted us to have all the risks and still pay him a salary. Jared, shit. Like at one point I wasn't making that kind of money. Right. And so as a business owner, this dude wants that plus and didn't give him, didn't care what we were making. And he wanted a a raise, a 5% 5 raise raise every year year in writing, guaranteed, regardless of if he brought in people, if we made money, if the reimbursements were dropped. I said, Jerry. I said, what is this? like? I, I I was you know I was almost taken back by it because what it what I think that what made me start have pause and really have to control myself. I was thinking, Jerry. Some people just don't know how hard it is to start a business from scratch and to build it up to where we are and still building. Um, we're very thankful, blessed that we can actually offer a salary like that. But the mindset. As if I'm entitled because I have I, that I have from a, status, a big box, right? Like, like I don't like I, like that doesn't mean any. That, like you're telling, look, if I trade for you, we just saw, right? They got lucky, but we just saw that after three years, Tom Brady went <laughs> went got old quick, <laughs> right? And so yeah, you may have a good first year. Yeah, we won the Super Bowl. I get you, but. After that, things went south very quick, right? Return on uh, the ROI was not what he thought it would be, right? Tampa Bay said, you know what, we're good, right? And and Tom Brady realized that too. I can't put a guarantee on anything when I don't know who you are. I, like I, we're not even friends. I, I, it's not like I you have a background and like I can vouch for. And then also the idea of just like go ahead and give me this. And I'm not going to give you any guarantees. Jerry, he gave me no guarantees. He didn't right, say, well, right. vice versa. If I don't make this, then it comes out of my salary, the money that I'm spending for these golfing trips and dinners. And st- like, none of that, right? And so it, it was... It, I, and what about, the, what about the firstborn rider where he gets your firstborn child as well? <laughs> did, did he ask for that? Jared, I, I was like, what? what? I, but, but that really opened our eyes as to what you mentioned earlier, where it's just like, you know, I'm supposed to get the best salary, my t- have access to full like work like like being able to 
create my schedule time like that you're dealing with unfortunately these unrealistic expectations from candidates and i don't know exactly where it comes from but i think it's uh they're being misled whether it's through social media through schools or just in general through the times that we currently live in that it's the employee's market ask for what you think you deserve and go after yeah. like it's yeah. different I actually saw something on the APT's website recently. It was a projection that was made. It was actually made back in 2020 and it pushed out to 2030 and it showed that the, that the, cause I mean, I would say about, let's say five, 10 years ago, I, I, I can't remember when you graduated. It doesn't matter the 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 demand for PT was super high, right? That's what they told us. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Do you remember going to school? They were like, ah, this is a, this is a huge industry. The yes. demand is super high. You're all, you're all going to have jobs. The projection out into 2030 is that the supply of physical therapists will overtake the demand by something like 40% mm. or so. I don't mm. remember what the number was exactly. The bottom line, think about it is that they told us that the demand was higher than the supply, but in doing so they generated so many physical therapy students and all of these companies are being sort of consolidated and eaten up and this and the other that at some point in time, and it's not some point in time in a, by 2030, the, the supply of physical therapists will far outweigh the demand for physical therapists. And so I think a lot of young therapists are just still bought into the, the fallacy, the lie that, you know, we're, we're, it's impossible to find good people and I'm worth every penny and just pay me what I'm worth. And it's not that you shouldn't ask for what you think you deserve. I mean, I, I'm not trying to discourage therapists that are not business owners from representing themselves and standing up for themselves in an interview. You should absolutely, you should absolutely respect who you are. But many, many therapists as a business owner, speaking as a business owner to other business owners or potential business owners, do not understand the fact that if as a business owner, we're just a little bit patient. We're going to get somebody else, not you. Mm -hmm. if, if we're just a little bit patient, somebody else will come through our indeed ad or something that has a better mindset and the right passion and is willing to put in the time and, and, and the energy. And if as a clinician, you're out there and all you're doing is asking for salary, 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 benefits, benefits, benefits at some point in time, in the very near future, if it hasn't started already, us business owners are just going to start saying no, no, I'm just not, I'm not paying you that. <laughs> just, uh, I will pass. Right. The educational system for PTs is pretty damn good right now. Someone else is just going to be right behind you that can take this job and has the right attitude. And I think that as I guess if we're giving advice to business owners, it's don't be in a rush to hire the right. wrong person because you think there isn't somebody else coming down the pipeline, mm -hmm. you know, because you didn't get enough people responding to your indeed ad, be patient. Okay. If you live in Bumblefuck and there's two th therapists that live in your, in your <laughs> town, maybe you don't have a lot of choices, but if you live in a, in a metropolitan area, there are plenty, there are plenty of PTs graduating and the pool of therapists is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you're a small business owner, be patient and hire the right person and, and follow the, the, the guidelines that, that came out in this conversation about looking for passion, not being thrown off by people that claim that they have some sort of expertise or experience, focus on their actions and what they've done in the past and, and find out what's really important to them by letting them do the talking. And if you do that, I think you're less likely to hire, hire the wrong person. And that kind of, I think really encapsulates this concept of, of the hiring part. You had mentioned something that I've been meaning to get back to, but I feel like we're going to need a part two yeah, of this. Right. Pains, I know it's supposed to be growing here. pains, but it's really just about hiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's where most of the growing pains are, right? <laughs> is it managing your team, but is, is, is the management part. Right. Okay. So now you do have somebody on your team and, and, and maybe we do part two here and we talk about that is, is how do you then manage somebody? Okay, so you've brought the right person on or you've brought somebody on that is close enough to the right person. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you do with them? You know, like what are the, 
What are the steps that you take so that that person can grow properly inside your organization and you as a business owner can avoid the growing pain associated with a troublesome employee that seemed promising at first, but then everything seems to go south and you're not really sure why. Part, part two, I think, coming soon. Thanks so much for listening to the Performance Doc Academy podcast. Make sure to head over to www.performancedocacademy.com where you can learn everything that you need to know about how to start, grow, and eventually sell your very own physical therapy practice. We are going to teach you step by step. It is all of the information and knowledge that we wish that we had when we started out in our own practices. And this is going to save you thousands and thousands of dollars in mistakes. Head over to www.performancedocacademy.com. We'll see you there.